0: Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. Ephesus was a bustling and wonderful city center. It's a capital city uh, in the province of Asia. And Paul spent three years there uh, in the years, we believe, between 54 and 57 A.D. So if you think about your biblical timeline here, Jesus was, of course, on the earth from zero to about, or four to about 33 or 36, depending on scholars that you read. And literally 20 years later, Paul has gone through his magnificent transformation. He's become a follower of Christ and a missionary on behalf of Jesus all over the world, all over his known world. And so I just want to quickly uh, welcome you to Ephesus. It is in this location. If you look at your map here, down in the bottom right, you'll see Jerusalem and the cities there and the Holy Lands, and then all the way up and around this, uh, the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. You see where Ephesus is. It is a coastal city. There's lots of roads that come into uh, the city, obviously, from all over that area, and Paul spent three years there, as I said, building up Christians, telling the story, sharing the gospel. And this city was very busy. Obviously, it is uh, a city center where trade and commerce and culture all collide. And in those years, it became a very strong church in this location. A a body of about, um, well, a population of about 250,000 at the time of, of Paul a quarter million people living in this particular area, and about 10% of them would have been Jewish or Christian at the time. So 25,000 people uh, being converted uh, to the way, as we will read about it. But has a lot of history in this in this area. There was a multitude of gods and religions that came to uh, you know reside here, that with worship practices that even predated Jesus. And there were some historical Roman and Greek gods that were being worshipped. We're going to talk about one in particular. Uh, the main goddess of the city was called Artemis Ephesia. Artemis Ephesia. Um, it was common in that day to take on a city god. So our god is Artemis, or in the, in the Roman system, uh, the goddess Diana, as the Romans would call her. A goddess of fertility that they worshipped. In fact, in pictures that you see of Ephesus, there's this huge, the ruins of a huge temple. And that temple was actually built in honor of Diana or Artemis. The actual background of this story can be found in the Bible elsewhere in Acts chapter 19. In fact, we're going to look at just a little section of Acts 19. You might want to turn in your Bibles there uh, to get ready. You can read of some of the powerful things that happen in this area. Powerful, miraculous things, actually, that Paul experienced while he was in Ephesus. Powerful moves of the Holy Spirit. Miracles. And even a riot. So let me, let me share a little bit of this with you some, as a background to what was going on in the church. This is Acts 19, starting in verse 23. About that time, so about the time that all these miracles and powerful, uh, displays of, of the Holy Spirit were being uh, were being revealed, there rose a great disturbance about the way. Okay, so that W, uh, that capital W, is really powerful. It should inspire us because that's what this movement was becoming to call. It was called the Way. Are you of the Way? And people knew exactly what we were talking about when we said that. A silversmith named Demetrius. He made silver shrines to Artemis. Brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. So can you imagine? We're making our little trinkets. We're making our little idols. And even today, that has a commerce value. That has a commercial value, right? And so this individual was a silversmith making these little idols to Artemis. And I'm telling you what, Artemis Ephesia was a popular brand, right? But... This is a quote. Demetrius stands up here and he says, Hold on a second. You see and hear how this fellow Paul is convinced to let astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. And in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. (laughs) Can you imagine? Now he's probably arguing, of course, from a religious standpoint. Right? How dare he say that Artemis, this great historical Roman god, is, is not really a god. Really, Demetrius? Guess what? This hurts your pocketbook. Nobody wanted your little silver trinkets anymore. So he's really angry about this. Keep reading. There's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who's worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. <laughs> what an impassioned, uh, you know, what an impassioned argument here, right? Well, that obviously was very compelling for people. They say, "Yeah, wait a minute. We've been worshiping this god here for perhaps thousands of years. Therefore," he says, "No, that's not what that's not what Demetrius said." I want you to see here today that this church was making a very powerful impact upon the people around it, upon the city which it resided. And Paul is now writing a letter, some believe to be up to ten years later, from a prison in Rome to his friends and fellow believers back in Ephesus. That's what the letter of Ephesus, or the Ephesian letter is. And throughout this letter, we're going to consider the transformational power of God's work in our lives, personally, like you and me, individually, our relationships to everybody around us, including our community, our co-workers, the area of Holmes County that we now reside in. Right? We'll consider this great teaching that Paul wrote And it's very unique among the letters that Paul wrote. We'll study that in a second. That will echo these wonderful words that I want you to catch here today as almost like a foundation. In 2 Corinthians, there's another letter that Paul wrote, of course, and this is where Paul writes those powerful words. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's the concept. And so if you're in Christ, I want to assure you today, you're a new creation. And we've all heard that, right? We've all heard that. You said that. If you've been a Christian for, for much of your life, you're like, yeah, of course, I am, I am, I am. And you know what we call that in education? At some point in education, we, we, we help you collect dots. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm a new creation. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm. it's not only, oh, here's another one. Yeah, I have been crucified with Christ, he writes to the Galatians. And I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I, I memorize this. I collect the dots. right? I collect the dots of my Christianity. I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to just collect dots today. I want you to connect the dots today. Right? Because there's a difference here. And in educating, God, make me a good teacher. That we would help you collect the dots. But we want you to connect the dots today. Because what we're going to deal with today, even just right out the gate in this first chapter, is really deep theological truth that I want you to be able to connect these dots to see how the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work in your life as a transformation that occurred when we believed in Jesus. And that if we are in Him, we truly are brand new by God's ordination. And that we will not live the life that we lived once before. That we're going to live the Christ life in us, okay? And how do you connect those dots? Well, Paul is starting out in this letter in a wonderful, wonderful way. Let's turn there now in Ephesians. And before I get started here, I want to encourage you. I forgot it, but I have in my office a little copy. Some of you use these with our study of Matthew, okay? And there are about there are little. I'm really excited about that. You you leave today as the scripture on one page some space for you to journal, circle, underline, scratch out, make your notes, do what i check the scripture. We just ask you since the church purchased them maybe give us a donation in the open in the in the offering plate of maybe 5 5 or more dollars. They're yours. Go ahead and take one if you feel comfortable. If we run out, we'll get some more, okay? The other thing is is that you can find this in the Pew Bible on page 798. If you happen to have that pew Bible, 798. In fact, if you don't have a Bible today, we want you to take that one. That's why we put them there. So if you don't have a Bible and you'd love to take it with you, you just take that yellow uh, NIV Bible with you. Let's begin here. Ephesians, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. We create these. This is going to be really powerful for you. You might want to save this one. I want you to actually do a little exercise with me because he actually, this is very customary in his day, to write. This is who I am. Okay, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm writing to you. This is who I am. I want you to do a little exercise with me. I left you two little blanks at the top of your outline. Put your name in the first one, and then. What are you? Who are you? And are you that by the will of God? Because my, my sheet looks something like this this week. Charlie, a teacher and encourager of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You get it? What are you? I want you to fill that in today. I'm me and I do this of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's what I do. That's who I am, right? Who is this new creation? Fill it in. This was Paul's calling. Uh, He was Paul, the apostle, the one chosen and set apart to lead and to share God's wonderful good news around the world. God has a wonderful purpose for everybody in this room. Everybody who was created. Individually and corporately. Okay, So it starts with you and I personally saying, I am who I am. This new creation in Christ. By the will of God, praise the Lord for that, right? It's important that we know that we what we are by the will of God. That's the first point and the first truth here that I want you to catch today. Do you know what you are? Do you know who you are by the will of God? I'm Charlie. I'm a teacher and an encourager. I'm a pastor of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's a wonderful exercise that we need to practice. Who are you? Because you can be a lot of things, right? You could do a lot of things by the will of a lot of people. See, for, for many years, I was a coach. I was a, I, was a, I, was a, I was a sports person of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then I even moved into that nasty role as the director of the athletic department. There's funny jokes about that, right? And that was a very difficult position to be in, not only because it's a really tough job, but I would might submit now as I'm processing it in my life is that it wasn't quite fit for me. And so I really churned about that. Really, was I Charlie, a director of athletics of Christ Jesus by the will of God? And I wasn't. I admit it. And by the grace of God, I made this transition about four years ago now. Maybe you're here and you're trying to do what you're trying to do and it's not feeling right. Maybe it's because He's not created you to do that. Maybe He's created you to do something else. Have you discovered what He's created you to do? Give it some time. Pray. Continue to ask Him and to reveal to Him who you are by His will. I would pray it that specific. Lord, I want to be what I am that you've created me to be by your will. What is that? And I can tell you that it is such joy and strength and a privilege to discover and to fit who you are by the will of God. I hope you understand that. We're going to encourage that in each other. But he goes on here and he lists about four things, characteristics of Christians in Ephesus. It's a loaded verse. I really am going to get to the rest of the passage, by the way, but... This is what minds like mine do with Scripture. It's like, do you see exactly what he's saying about the people of God here? First, he says they're a holy people. They're set apart. That's what holy means really in its definition, right? Set apart. Some translations may say the saints. Ooh, I kind of like that. Saint Charles. That's me. Saint whoever. Put your name in that spot. Our Catholic friends don't have the market on sainthood. You and I are saints. We're set apart. I'm St. Charles today because God says I am. He also says that they're faithful people. Faithful. They're true believers who are consistent. And they persevere in their faith every day in every way. He says they are in Christ. And this is one of the themes that will come out through the book in a lot of ways. It's a key aspect of our transformation. That we are in Christ. I'm in Christ. What that that means to us is really important. We're going to see that play out. In fact, what I'm doing in my journal Bible is whenever I see the, the, the phrase in Him, for Him, by Him, through Him, I'm going to underline it. And guess what? Even just in the first 14 verses, go ahead and look. There's a lot of them. In Him, for Him, through Him, by Him. The coolest, coolest thing about this book, this letter, is that here in this translation, we see that they are in a physical location. They are in Ephesus. They're in this city that we pointed out before. Now, this cool little tidbit that I can't help but share with you today. Some of you may not know this. What we do to see the validity or to ensure the... the correctness, the the authenticity of Scripture is we compare lots of different ancient manuscripts, versions of it. And there are several ancient manuscripts who actually, and one of them you can look up on Google if you like this, Papyrus 46. Can you imagine naming a... What what was it made of? It was made of papyrus. And so they just named it Papyrus 46. Look that up. Guess what happens when you read Papyrus 46? There's a blank... In the word where Ephesus was. And that's a unique factor that plays out in this letter to the Ephesians. Because guess what? I'm going to write Walnut Creek in there. Right? And all the churches took this papyrus and they said, no, you make it your own. And you can make it your own. And you can make it your own. And you can make it your own. And your own. And your own. And they passed this papyrus. They passed this letter all around the churches in this area. Because they could write in their own name. The Holy faithful, in Christ people at Walnut Creek. That's us. And we fill it in on Papyrus 46. And that's like, that's so awesome. Because listen, scholars will tell you, and we'll see as we go through this letter, that it actually wasn't written to address any specific problem that the people had. Some of you have read the other letters, like, oh my, the Corinthians, ooh, they had some real troubles. Oh, and the Galatians, man, they were all messed up, so he's trying to correct them. Guess what? The letter to the Ephesian people in this region of Asia, they don't have any particular squabbles or troubles or hard times or fights or, in, it, you know, they just, it, it's not written to address any of that. So what is it written to do? It's written to build up and to explain the hallelujah transformation that we have as Christian believers in our place. So what is this letter? It's an ideal. It's an ideal for our church to follow. And in the next ten weeks, we're going to go through piece by piece, word by word, verse by verse, and we're going to be blessed by this letter that we can call our own. It's so, so important that we get this. Look at verse 3. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful blessing. Grace and peace. This was very common, right? He is the Messiah. Lord Jesus Christ. Don't skip over that for a second. Lord is his title. Jesus is his name. And Christ is his role. I want you to see it that way. Try to remember that. Commit that to your member. Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, his, it's not just His name. There's a title. There's a name. And there's a role. His role as Christ. He's the Messiah. Now when we get to this next section, starting in verse 4, I want you to see this beautiful representation. And I want you to watch for it now. A beautiful representation of what we believe to be the Trinity. Okay, so here we go. This big theological concept. That yes, we believe in one God. In three persons. And we sometimes can't get our mind around that. But I want you to see it in this passage as we go through it. It's so powerful. And I believe that we will see God the Father's role in this wonderful blessing that you and I have received. We will see the Son's role in all all the blessings that we have. And we will see the Holy Spirit's role in that great blessing and transformation that we have experienced. Okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse 3 here. Praise be to to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Many miss the qualifier here sometimes, and I want to highlight the word in the heavenly realms. The blessing is actually in the heavenly realms. It doesn't necessarily mention or mean that we have blessings here in the physical realms, right? So there's a distinction right out the gate between the spiritual realm, the heavenly realms, and the physical realms. Where we are, where God is, right? Right? It doesn't necessarily mean physical blessing. And some people get this crossed up. The blessing may or may not be physical. We understand physical blessings from God. We understand physical pain from God. We understand suffering from God. Sometimes it does have a purpose. And so this blessing is actually in the heavenly realms. The first point I really want us to catch is that that it is a God-ordained blessing. Praise be to God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with the blessings in the heavenly realm, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Keep going. For he chose us in him. And that pronoun refers back to Christ, by the way, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And some may argue whether we're talking about the Father or the Son at that point. The first pronoun is certainly Jesus. The second one might be referring back to the He. Who is the He? It's Father. The Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in the Father's sight. Keep going with me here. In love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Oh my spend a couple of weeks here in this verse if you want. Go to seminary, and you will. Trust me. Ah, We won't do that today, though. Sorry. It is a God-ordained blessing, and I want to unpack it just a little bit. You realize there's several things that are listed in this that the Father does. right? So let's look at this blessing from the Father's perspective. Here's what we've got in verse 4. The Father, first and foremost, chose you. The Father chooses us. Oh my goodness. So now we've got some Calvinists and some Armenians sitting in the room right now. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay. Google it later. You'll understand. Oh my goodness. And the wonderful commentator that I read this week on this, to help me sort of unpack it and try to help teach it to you, is to say, do you, do you, are you offended that God had a choice? <laughs> no. I'm thankful that He has a choice. Well, do you have a choice? Oh my. Because that's really where the, where the rubber hits the road, right? So did God choose you? And this is the bottom line. I believe God did choose us. But I do believe we have a choice as well. And when we choose Him, we're so delighted to find out and realize that He chose us. The blessing of election. That's what we're talking about. It's mentioned in verses 5 again, and even down into 11. It reiterates the point that God chose you. By His will... He chose you. He ordained you. And he chooses to save you. I want you to think of that story back to King David. When King David was anointed, he was chosen to be the king. Right? You remember that story? It's Samuel, right? He, he travels to Jesse's house. We talked this summer about some relatives of his, right? It was kind of fun. And it's a comical story in some ways because they say, Oh, I'm here at Jesse's house because we're gonna we're gonna choose a new king. Like, okay, great. Got the bottle of oil here. Let me see your sons. Uh, not him. Mm, not that one. Well, not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. All the sons. Nope, 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 nope. Can you imagine what the dad was doing? We're like, oh my gosh. And finally Samuel says, do you have any other sons? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. as a matter of fact, I do. The youngest. He's out tending the sheep. We didn't even think he was a part of the conversation. Well, get him in here. Chosen. It was chosen, by the way, because his heart was after God's own heart. didn't have to do with how tall he was or how much muscles he had or what his skill set was. He chose David to be king because his heart was pure. His heart was after God's own heart. And he chose you before the beginning of time. Well, trying to get your head around that. We're talking about an omniscient God. God who knows everything. Yes, He knew you. He formed you. He chose you. Another thing that it says is that He set us apart. He sanctified you. Okay, We talked about this with the Ruth story too. Remember? Justified, sanctified, glorified. Remember that? Sanctification is this process. It's this process of setting us apart. He chose us to be holy. To be blameless. In His sight. Wow. What a, powerful, what a powerful thought. Is this how God sees you? He sees you holy. He sees you sanctified. Blameless. In His sight. By His will. By His choosing. Right? Oh, and it gets so powerful here. Further in verse 5, He says that the Father has adopted us. Has adopted us. He makes us sons and daughters in his family that's actually Paul referring back to the Roman law the the Roman legal system did afford itself and you could adopt another person even back then it was it was everything that it is today as far as I can tell in every way an adopted son or daughter has the right Okay, and I say it that way has the right to the father's name has the right to the father's property and has the right of the status in every way as a son of the Father. Whoa. And and, and listen, these words are powerful. God the Father chose you. He sanctified you. He adopts you. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. God adopts us into his holy family. What sin has made impossible, God has made possible. Amen and amen. God's grace has indeed made this possible for you and I. And I know the word predestined is still going to stick out to you, right? It may trip us up. We're going to continue to talk about it. But remember, we're dealing with the infinite knowledge of God. And in this choosing, and in this sanctifying, and in this adopting, He accepts us. He accepts us. Verse 5. I love the part here where Paul emphasizes that God did this in accordance with His... You read it? In accordance with His pleasure. God does all of this. God the Father is pleased to do this. This is the Father we're talking about. Some of you may have this... Uh, distorted version sometimes of what the father really is, right? We think, oh, this, this grandfatherly bearded white guy sitting up and with the light lightning bolts waiting to, you know, just catch me breaking the law or something. That's not the image of the father that I read here. There was this powerful moment for me and my dad. Maybe you've had this as well. I pray that you've had this. Because as a young boy, all I ever wanted to do was please my dad. He was my hero. He was the strongest guy that I ever knew. I'll tell you about it later. And all I ever wanted to do was make Him him pleased with me. And so, that's why I've testified that I didn't drink, and I didn't smoke, and I didn't chew, and I didn't, you know, go with girls who do. Because some would like to think it was because, you know, I was a young youth group kid that, you know, knew Jesus. And no, I had a little bit of healthy fear of my dad but I had a much bigger dose of the desire to please my dad. And this was a little bit, you know, obsessive at times, and I've been through some counseling to kind of deal with it all. May have some more coming since he's gone now. But all I wanted to do was please my dad. And so I thought, in many ways, what would my dad do? That's what I'm going to do. It's never failed me now. It's not going to fail me yet. Now that's immature, but there was a point in my life where my dad, looked me in the eye with his hands on either shoulder. I saw my equal. He saw his equal. And I'm so thankful that I had that moment where he expressed to me that he was pleased with me, that he was proud of me, that he loved me with all of his heart. That yes, we'd had ups and downs and we'd been through some really difficult, dark things. But my dad was pleased with me. He was happy that I was his son. And that's what jumps off the page to me as I prepared this week, that God did all of this because it gave Him pleasure. I think we need to grab onto that today. That my Father is pleased with me. And what would that, that completely changed my life. It was everything that, you know, for 40 years of my life I had been trying to attain. Now I got it. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now? <laughs> right? Oh, wait a minute. I've got God's approval. I'm going to start living my life the way Jesus wants me to live. I want to live in response to that pleasure. I want to live in response to that love. I want to live in response to this choice. I want to live and responsibly live as a son of God who takes pleasure in me. we got to get over that. Can you imagine how much of your life you could spend just trying and trying and working and fighting and harding? and To come to the end of it and say, But Charlie, you had it the whole time. I don't know what you were working for. Do you catch what I'm saying? You already have God's choice. You already have God's favor. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And so let's start living like it. What's that mean for me? Look back up at the top of your page. I am me, and I do this in Jesus Christ for, because of the will of God. What are we fighting and working for? We already had it. And that's one of the things that my dad said to me when he had his shoulder, his hands on my shoulders. I've always loved you. I've always approved of you. I've always called you my son. I've always been happy with you. I'm like, oh my gosh. I would have really liked to go to that party. (laughs) You follow me? Oh, I gotta keep moving. Sorry. To the praise of his glorious name. That's a phrase that's going to come out to in verse 6. Which He has freely given to us in the one He loves. It's so rich, people. It's so rich. Look at a couple other versions of this. This is the NIV. And I actually created the emphasis on the italicized one He loves. The one He loves. Who's that? The one He loves. I'm in the one that He loves. That's Jesus, right? So It's the CSB that says, to the praise of His glorious grace, that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. Ooh, the Beloved One. Okay. And then one more. Some of you carry around the ESV, and I love this too. Makes it even more concise. To the praise of His glorious name, He's done all this. With which He has blessed us in the Beloved. (laughs) The Beloved. And that's Jesus. Jesus is that person. In fact, we can go even further. Okay, and I haven't done this much, but I want to show you what could be possibly what we call a literal translation. A literal translation of this phrase. Okay, so follow me. Some of you, I don't want to lose you here. To the exaltation of the good opinion of His grace, which He has graced us with through the One who is love. Who is agape love. That's so powerful for us. To the praise of His grace. Because it's only His grace. We dealt with that last week. I'm not going to work and fight and go... I'm going to try to get myself there. I can't. I'm not good. But because of the grace of God, I'm a son of God, by the will of God, in Christ Jesus. And so that's the focus that Paul... kind of throws our focus, right? God the Father did all these things because... Of the grace through the one. And so it is a Christ-centered blessing. It is a God-ordained blessing, but it is a Christ-centered blessing. We're transformed because of Christ and the work on the cross that He did. And then we churn we turn our pronouns, right? In Him. Now this pronoun is referring to that beloved one. In Him, we have redemption. Redemption. Through His blood that was shed. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's a repurposing of this same thought. In Jesus, we have redemption. And there's your list. Let's go through a list again. Right? What has Jesus done? What has the Son done? Well, first and foremost, He's redeemed you. Ding! Right? That's Ruth. I'm going to take responsibility for you. I'm going I'm to love you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you back to where you belong. I'm going to redeem it. Right? Powerful stuff. In 1873. Okay? That's 11 years after our congregation was formed, by the way. 11 years after we started meeting on this corner. There's a group called the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And they capture this so well in their modified version of an old, African spiritual you might have heard it before in the morning when I rise in the morning when I rise in the morning when I rise give me Jesus give me Jesus give me Jesus you can have all this world but give me Jesus because it's a Christ centered blessing right 1873 and that song still in many many forms lingers today he redeemed us keep reading that verse he forgave you oh my goodness there's a whole. i I can't i I don't know why in the world my team let me say that we were going to preach ephesians in 11 weeks are you kidding me i took like 40 some messages in the book of matthew and we didn't even touch it there's a whole message right here that he forgave you the redemption had a price I want you to catch this. Our sinfulness, our brokenness, the bad things that I've done in breaking God's law, it requires a resolution. Like something needs to add up at the bottom of the equation. Right? Because we live our lives, we're doing the equation. I think It's a negative number. And I work in another way and I just do that. It's a negative number. It's a negative number at the bottom of the equation when it's up to me. And I blow my mind trying to figure out how to get this to zero or at least to point one. Please, Lord. No, you can't. That's what we're preaching at you for. You can't. Think about it. Unforgiveness is a plague and a curse in our hearts, whether it be unforgiveness between people, unforgiveness between God and us. Unforgiveness. It's a tragic place to live. And, and, and here's, here's my only little rabbit trail here. If you're the one who's offended, so, all right, I'll flip it. I have offended Wendy. She's the offended party. And I come to her in the kitchen sink and I say, honey, come on. We just need to be okay with this. And she looks me up and down and says, well, because you know you need to forgive me. She didn't say this. But she has the right every time to say, I'll forgive you when you're sorry. Are you sorry? That not that powerful? And that's just between people. Because there's plenty of times, guys, unfortunately, we go to our wives and say, hey, we just need to be okay with this. Put it behind you. And she goes, I don't know that I can get beyond this. Not unless you're sorry. Now, when you're sorry, I'll forgive you. Am I sorry or not? Now, blow that up to God. Blow that up to your relationship to Christ. What we're all talking about here is that Christ forgave us. But we got to be sorry. That's back to that choice part. Are you sorry or not? Because here's what I want to get at. The one who has been offended does have the power. The one who has been offended does have power. Is there a resolution possible? Yes, there is a resolution possible. How does that come? Comes through being sorry. There has to be some resolution of that. So I'm doing the dishes and I say, you know what, I'm very sorry and I, I I don't, I, I won't do that again. And if it's sincere, okay, now we're on, now we're on to something. Because now Wendy does forgive. But what does she have to do in order to do that? She's doing exactly what is Christ-like in the relationship. I don't want to lose you here. Sorry. Is there a resolution with Jesus? Yes. What is that resolution? That's why we worship a God who died on that cross. Because He actually paid for the brokenness. He paid for the sin. That's something Wendy can't do in my relationship. Okay, oh, whoa, 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 wait a second. So there is a resolution, and he already took care of it. Jesus was sorry for my sin. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute. What What are you telling me? Yeah, he stepped into that gap on your behalf. He is the resolution. He forgives you because he bought it. He paid the price for you and me. And so he has the right to forgive. And some of us get this twisted in our theology, don't we? I know I did. Okay, let let me just speak to some some of your situations. You've done something wrong, and you've said you're sorry, the forgiveness has been communicated, and you seemingly can't forgive yourself. Really? Do everybody understand what just happened here? I said I was sorry. She said, I forgive you, and now I'm going to just punish myself because I'm such a wretched, horrible, terrible person. And I walk around looking like this all the time. I'm like, whoa, what happened to you? Well, I had this fight with my wife. I'm sorry to hear that. Did you say you were sorry? Yeah. Did she forgive you? Yeah. What's the problem? I just can't forgive myself. Okay, did you say you were sorry to Jesus? Well, yes. Do you know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for all the brokenness and the broken, sinful things that you did, including whatever had happened with your wife? Yes. Okay, so the, the, here's a person, and they're just collecting dots their whole life. Like, I got the dots. I got those just big pockets full of dots. And they're not connecting. And so we want you to connect the dots this morning. Are you forgiven? Yeah. Why? Because the one who paid the price for you bought the right to forgive you. Who said it was up to you? Because it's not up to you. And there's a freedom there that I pray that you are released from today. That these chains of your own unforgiveness are broken because of the blood that was shed for you. And we live a transformed new creation life because of what He bought for us. It's not up to me. Hallelujah, it's not up to me because i got a big old positive down in the bottom of the equation now and it had nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with Him. He forgave us because He has the right to forgive us. And He does. Now, do I say I'm sorry? Oh yeah, I say I'm sorry every time. But I don't live in that fear. I live in a new created life. And you know, in this new transformed life that says I live for God. I am by the will of God. He chose me. He sanctified me. He saved me. And now Jesus loves me. And he, and he forgave me. It's a done deal. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus bought it because He was the one that was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us the peace was on Him. And so by His wounds... What a beautiful picture. Some Written some 800 years before Jesus ever showed up. Are you kidding me? Hello? There's a bigger picture here for your life. There's a bigger picture here for all of creation. They were talking about it way back then. Peter responds to this wonderful, Hey, we've studied him. We know he's got some, some baggage he dealt with. Talk about forgiveness. Oh my goodness. Did this guy understand what that is? He claimed he didn't even know, he walked for three years with Jesus and then claims three times he doesn't even know who he is. And you and I are no better. Right? But he says, you know that it wasn't with perishable things like gold or silver that you were redeemed. It's not Boaz's story. He just pays the money. He basically takes on Ruth as a wife. He just starts paying the rent. Feeding her the grain. No, no, no. You were redeemed from an empty, negative life. Negative balanced life. Because that's what was handed down to us from our ancestors in our flesh. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. That's why we sing about it every week. That's why we're living what we live. A lamb who was worthy to take my place. He's the only one who was worthy to take my place. He's the only one. Wendy can't take my place. Jonathan can't take my place. Moe's can't take my place. Even the best person that we love and know, and I won't mention who it is, even that person can't. You can't pay enough money, right? You can't buy it with silver and gold. Rich young ruler, you can't get there on your own. You were not redeemed with all of that transactional stuff. Don't just keep collecting the dots. Connect them. Connect the dots here. You got it. That is the gospel. And it's a love, if you pick it back up in in verse 8 here, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Oh boy, we're getting to verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. He has made known to us the mystery. Why is it that you walk with such a pep in your step, Pastor Charlie? Why is it that you have a joyful countenance no matter what happens to you? Because I know the mystery. I know the answer to the story. I know the end of the story. I have a wisdom and an understanding of the mystery because God told me. Jesus reveals that to me. And some of you are just stumbling into that right now. And I'm honored to be the one to let you know that you can know the mystery of His will for your life and His will for our church and His will for this community and His will for all of creation. And it's restoration. It's restoration. And so the Son reveals wisdom to us. Come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. My teaching, my burden, my yoke is light. I know you. I know what you were created to do. Come on in behind the curtain. Come on into the holy huddle here. Let me share with you the game plan to the mystery that's plagued you. He's revealed that wisdom to us. He took, us, he took our sin away from us, but then He fills it back in with a knowledge of the mystery to understand why and how His kingdom seems to be so upside down. Right? Last things are first. Weak things are strong. Poor things are rich. Death to self is actually eternal life. How can this be? Spiritual wisdom is only refer is only reserved for those who are spiritually alive. Do you get this? Because to the world, it is foolishness. To the world, it's foolishness. You sitting here on a beautiful warm Sunday morning, you've got all kinds of other things you'd rather be doing. No, not me. Because I want more spiritual wisdom. Because I'm spiritually alive and I'm a tool. I am not living the life that I once lived. I'm living Jesus' life now. And I'm going to have Jesus' mind when I do it. That's the wisdom and knowledge that I'm seeking. and It's got a purpose. Let me me start to land the plane here. You, You ever been on a plane? He says, well, ladies and gentlemen, we are starting our descent into Cleveland. We'll be there in 48 minutes. Well, why did you tell me now? 48 minutes? I promise I will not take 48 minutes to finish and land our plane. But I have dealt with two of the three parts of the Trinity, right? So here we go. In that verse, you see a phrase that, I, again, I'm going to skip a whole chunk here, but that He would bring unity to all things. That's His work on the cross. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement. He echoes these same words in the, in the letter that he wrote to Philippians as well. So you're going to see similarities and I'll sometimes bring out comparative. It's almost like, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, almost like four gospels of Paul, right? Four gospels of Paul and you can compare them. So watch this. This is from Philippians, Philippians 2.9. He says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2 9, 10, 11. It's a beautiful passage that mirrors what we just spoke in the Ephesians passage. Pick it up in 11 here, because these last couple of verses here, there's a section that turns our focus God ordained, Christ centered. But now, Spirit, watch this. In Him you were chosen, having predestined according to the plan, who works everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. That's a cool way of saying God does what He says He does. He's going to do His will. And you're a part of that will. Keep following now. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. A sidebar, the only thing you need to know, biblical scholars, follow along with me. The we... He's referring to the Jewish people. The we. The we. The Jewish people who believed in Christ first for the praise of the glory of God. Right? That's all I will say. Keep going with it. It is a Spirit-led blessing. Spirit-led. So there you go. There's your framework. God-ordained, Christ-centered, Spirit-led. Sounds like a nice uh, tagline for our church. might see it on on the bottom of an email or a... uh, piece of stationery or a business card, right? But we want to live it in our hearts. That we would live God-ordained lives because of the blessing that the Father bestows. And that we would be centered. Everything that we do in our purpose is focused on Jesus. In Him. For Him. By Him. Through Him. And how do we do that? Through the Spirit. The Spirit leads us every day in doing this. Let's see how this plays out. And you, you, the you here, that refers to the Gentiles. Okay, so follow along here. You also were included, that's, in, that's you and me, by the way, in Christ when you heard the message of truth and the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked with a seal, a promised Holy Spirit. There we have it. And so who revealed to you all of this? Who, 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 who prompted your faith? Well, the Holy Spirit did. Well, no, no, my mom did. My Sunday school teacher did. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit did it through those, through those people, right? And so the Holy Spirit prompts our faith. He prompts you. He leads you. He teaches through guys like me, through people around you, through reading the Scripture yourself. And then this coolest part the Holy Spirit guides our learning and our growing in God. And then when we believed, we were sealed. We were sealed. Okay? Again, I won't go into it very far, but this was a common part of their culture. People would understand this, especially in Ephesus. Coming and going and shipping and moving, and then we're taking this off the caravan and we're putting it on the boat and it's, seal, it's sailing to Rome and we're going to get this and over here and go over here and got this and that. How do you identify everything, Amazon? It's got a mark, it's got a, a barcode. And that's what he's saying. It's the hub of activity in Ephesus. A seal was the mark of ownership. The mark of ownership, maybe into hot wax or clay or something, a signet ring that came from the king saying, that's mine, right there. And this person who's picking up the box off the ship says, oh, wait a minute, that's so-and-so's, that's going over here. This is mine. I bought it. It's going to be protected by the forces of me. Right? It has my seal. I'm in charge of the processing of the box of this goods. Let's put it that way. We are marked with a seal when we believe when we are revealed, when this has been revealed to us, and when it is a sign that has been placed on us that we are gods. Transformed by Him. Blessed by Him. But what happens through the work and the impartation, the incarnation of the Holy Spirit inside us. I love this letter to the Corinthians. He's echoing another point here. I'm giving you a fire hose. I apologize. Do you not know That your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? See, they, they, they thought temples were just these physical buildings, like that huge, glorious thing they built to Artemis. No, no, no. Your body is the Holy Spirit. Who is in you, whom you've received from God? Don't you know that, he says? You're not your own. You're not your own. How about the worship team come up? Because guess what? They got a song, and we didn't even talk about it. And they're going to sing you a song, and you're going to join them, that says, I'm not my own. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with everything you have, with your body. Right? Like, if you were selling a car, right? Last point. If you were selling a car, and somebody comes and says, Hey, I I really want this car. It's the most beautiful, awesome, beautiful thing I've ever wanted. It's the most beautiful. Like, I, I go, okay, fine, okay. He says, but I can't get you money until Tuesday. Uh, okay, well, can you hold it? And that's like three days from now. What are you going to do? Everybody follow what I'm doing? Sorry I distracted you here. You're selling a car. Somebody comes, i got to have it. I'm like, okay, well then pay me the money. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have the money. But, but, but I'll, get, I'll give you your hamburger next Tuesday, right? There's an old joke for you, old enough. I gladly pay you on Tuesday. Well, what are you going to ask him for? Will <laughs> you want me to just hold it and trust you? You don't even know this person. What are you going to do? You're going to say, how about you give me a little something? A deposit. And that's exactly what Paul mentions here. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, and the Holy Spirit is that deposit. It's the good faith measure that God gives us to say, oh, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back, and I'm going to pay the rest of the sum to purchase fully what I've laid the Deposit down. What a journey. Oh wow, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. We are going to be revealing to you more and more of this theological truth. And so I appreciate your attention. Thanks for staying with me on some of this. We were bought with a price. That deposit is there. We seek to be God-ordained and Christ-centered and Spirit-led in our life. In our life together. That's why the church exists. This is the framework that we use to make decisions. Is it God-ordained? Is it Christ-centered? And is the Spirit compelling me to do this in the world? Oh, that we would live that way. It comes back to this great blessing that we have in the transformation through Jesus. And I want you to know that the closer you can get to God, it's at the bottom of your hand out here, the closer you can get to God, the closer you're going to be like God. The closer that we get to Jesus, we're going to become more like Jesus. And the more you see and interact with God, the more people will see God in us.